Hi there, and welcome to Product Storyteller. My name is Stuart Noyce, and this is my personal podcast, where I dive into stories of and about product innovation, the crucially important process that satisfies unmet need with unique value. From the origins of the internet to the future of crypto platforms, from Haas MBA classmates to Burning Man makers, I cover the ground where entrepreneurs and business leaders create new value with a wisdom that ensures our shared future. Product Storyteller explores the durable edge of free market capitalism, where people practice restraint and live in community with one another. If you love it, give it a great review and subscribe on iTunes or elsewhere to catch every interview that's coming. Earlier this month, while on holiday in Paris, France, I had the delicious opportunity to share a leisurely lunch with three of my fellow Berkeley Haas MBAs. One of them, Carlos Gaviola, took me up on the offer to record an interview for Product Storyteller. It turns out that he now works on the durable edge of capitalism as a volunteer for hashtag le plus important. As you will learn from Carlos in this interview, business people in Europe and Paris in this case understand the need to retrain people who would otherwise be left out as technology relentlessly moves us towards higher productivity. While workers with college educations in white-collar jobs are likely to adapt, it is the middle and lower tiers that face the greater challenge. As we in the U.S. consider our own issues with worker displacement, it should prove useful to hear how this group of French business people have approached the problem with entrepreneurial flair. They don't see government as an enemy, but rather as a partner who can deliver the solutions that they propose and test. This is a quick episode that will leave you wanting more. Let's listen now. Carlos, it is a pleasure to have you join me today on Product Storyteller. I have been looking uh, to add another Haas MBA to the podcast to, to hear the story from the MBA perspective. And your work with hashtag le plus important is, uh, is really hitting home. And I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it. So let's dive into the work and uh, we'll start with our introduction questions. And first of all, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I mean, um, this is going to be my 15 minutes of fame, I guess, uh, in the media. Uh, so uh, where do you want to start? Where I was born in Finland or straight from the high school or... <laughs> <laughs> no, why don't you give us about uh, like a 10, 15 second overview of, you know, of what you do and, you know, or I saw you were an engineer. Are you an engineer then or are you more of yeah, a... Yeah, I, I, I studied civil engineering in Argentina and um, I had a joint venture with uh, guys from Kaiser Engineers from Oakland. I liked what they were doing and they told me I wanted to join them. I said, Carlos, come to California, get a master's and then we'll hire you. So I went to UC Berkeley, got a master in science, and they hired me. And uh, I worked with them for a few years, and I was missing a component, which was I wanted to do international work. And American engineering companies were out of the market. So I had to change tax, as we say, when we sail. And I went to the business school, because 90% of people who go to the business school are tacking in life. They want to do something different. And that's how I got to the MBA, and my life was very different afterwards. I never touched uh, concrete or bricks afterwards. It was all software and analytics. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's a very, very familiar uh, story that you just gave there. That, ha that uh, tech point uh, of where we're moving from one place to another, it's really important. All right, so let's get into the uh, introductory questions, and we're going to 
ask you some questions about hashtag le plus important this morning. And uh, the first one is, what is the big unmet need that's addressed? Um, the name means hashtag the most important. I think it was easy, but I think it's good to translate. Um, we hear a lot in the media everywhere about climate change. But the name implies that first and foremost, we need to address the changes to the education, labor, health, etc. markets brought by the new technologies like artificial intelligence, blockchain, robotization, machine learning. Um, therefore, as a group, we have to develop between quotes, the human capital, the individual capacities and skills of citizens to enable everyone to find a place and a future in this rapidly changing society. We just want to promote equal opportunities and an inclusive society and fight economic insecurity, especially among the least privileged and the lower middle classes, which are mostly disrupted by this change. Okay, so how are you positioned to fill this gap? Uh, well, um, we are an independent NGO uh, founded at the end of 2017 by Matthias Dufour, who uh, at the time was still a McKinsey consultant. Uh, in Paris, it brings together and puts into action already more than 300 experts, professionals of all ages, all walks of life, from management consultants, senior civil servants, startups, social entrepreneurs, researchers, lawyers, executives of public and private groups, philosophers, etc. So this, this group is uh, filling the gap. Okay. And what's the unique product or solution that's being offered here? What's unique is uh, two complementary fields of action, a think tank and an action lab. The think tank focuses on solutions contributing to the development of the individual capacities and skills of low-skilled or unqualified people, as well as children and youth. And uh, feeding the public debate as a an, an think tank uh, it's proposing real solutions to public decision makers. Um, the French are very good at criticism, but we base our actions in a rule, 20% diagnosis and 80% force de proposition, and essentially proposals, actively uh, actionable, directly applicable by the public authorities. We draw on the field of experience of social innovation projects that we support with the Action Lab. And these, uh, these proposals are submitted to public debate. And, we and the methodology, if you want, is very simple. Spontaneous groups take a topic and they work for two or three months to create a draft report. Once a draft report with the proposals are up, they organize a colloque, I think is uh, the word is a seminar, usually at the, at the parliament uh, itself, because uh, the civil servants now like us and they think we bring a real actions to the table so 300 to 400 people get together and they for the full day they they hash to pieces the draft report they enrich it they redo it and at the end of the day now we have a report that is a summary of proposition of these 300 400 people and that is submitted to the government entities we call them ministers your secretaries in the u.s uh, the appropriate ministers be it education or health and they, in turn, because it's all ready to cook, they submit it to the parliament for a vote. And not all the amendments are voted in favor, but we may submit 10 and two or three are voted in favor. So now this has become 
the methodology and the government appreciates that we do the work for them and it's really well thought and that's uh, quite unique and the action lab is, is is a simpler proposition it's an accelerator of innovation and of social impact projects so ngos who are working in the fields that we address okay education of youth uh, integration in the labor market of populations currently excluded, the handicapped, the refugees, people out of work, and training programs for skills in shortage. Um, digital skills are needed, but the education system does not provide enough. And otherwise, uh, patisserie, you know, the bakers of all these goodies you eat in Paris, there's not enough young people who want to be bakers. So there's programs to bring them into the labor force because there's a lot of demand. And also, programs to aspiring entrepreneurs from the banlieues, which are the outskirts neighborhoods, the poor neighborhoods that we see in the press, who have ideas how to give them the, the skills to put up a business plan and start um, a social enterprise or a for business. We're not, we're not dogmatic, okay? If it's a for business, as long as it gets them going and into the, the economic workforce and they, they contribute to the economy. So those are the the two components which working together so far have proved uh, quite good. I hope it's excellent. Good. Yeah, excellent, Carlos. Um, and, and thank you for taking us through that pretty in, in detail because that's really helpful. Um, now, what is the organization's business model? How do you sustain operations there? <laughs> that's a, that, that's a, we, we could use another million, but uh, uh, the members pay <laughs> uh, So the annual fee, is about 120 euros times 300. That's some money, but not a lot. But otherwise, we have been successful uh, for each of these colloques, these seminars, to have um, companies who donate and, or sponsor them. So to the tune of 8, 10, 20,000 euros each time. So that pays for the colloque. Um, they get visibility, they participate, and it allows to fund the, the other. Otherwise, we are, have, we are now working on a, on a, on a program because we find when we discuss with enterprises, many of them say we would love to allow our employees, professionals, to provide expertise to social enterprises uh, on our on our nickel, okay, not individually, but um, as as let's say Salesforce does. And so, how do we go about it? Uh, you can source projects for us for our professionals. And so, we're going to start a program where we're going to consult and say we're happy to do it for you but it's going to cost you. And that's a business model going forward, providing services. In French, it's called mécénat de compétence. Uh, mécène were the big uh, art, uh, art uh, sustained people from the Renaissance. So enterprises want to go beyond greenwashing, and they want to really allow their employees to participate with some of these NGOs. It's very rewarding for the employees, and of course, for the company, it gives them good brownie points for their CSR reports. So. Everybody win. Excellent. Um, so you talked a little bit about the action lab and and putting things into you know putting some of these ideas and concepts into place. So what kind of accomplishments has the group made up to this point? Well, uh, taking the think tank uh, last year, there were ten uh, ten reports issued uh, all the way to to the government instances, uh, all having to do with technology in health, so technology in the gig economy. Um, also in uh, areas like education, and uh, several amendments have, have been passed, so that's a measure of success. We're having an impact, and uh, the, the field projects, today we are accompanying over 30 projects. I'm the coordinator of this action lab. I, I, this is my 
my my my sandbox if you want i'm a little bit the match the matchmaker here i match mentors members with the projects so that the right skills are applied to the right needs i personally um, mentor four of them mostly working on their business plan strategy sometimes alone sometimes with with another consultant it's um so it, we're still very young uh only about a year and a half but um i think in a, in a short time we we've done quite a lot and so we look forward to more yeah exactly so what what do you think is coming uh, say over the next year well the um, i think uh the development of uh, hashtag le plus important for now has been uh, essentially in france and we have started developing um the same uh, ideas and, and component essentially the action lab in the largest cities of france we started in lyon and so, soon in marseille so it's this expansion within france and um, and of course we realize that these these questions that we are addressing are not unique to france they're true in many countries of the world and we we are not aiming to have hashtag le plus important offices here and there but we are searching for NGOs or, or, or think tanks or others who are trying to address the same issues and see if we can ex exchange, uh, explore potential alliances, uh, discuss uh, what we are doing, take ideas from each other, and create um, a global network addressing this global issue because it is really a global issue. Okay, this is, uh, thank you very much, by the way, for this excellent introduction. Um, really helped me actually uh, go in more detail, and I'm sure it will help our English listeners because uh, your website is all in French, and uh, you know it's a bit of a challenge to to figure out what's going on. But uh, what I'm what I'm taking away from this is uh, work that is being done in other parts of the world um, because there is this uh, this thread of and concern for uh, economic sustainability as well as ecological sustainability. It's not just the fact that we uh, have challenges in the world based on you know, global warming or climate change, uh, and just, just because there's so many of us in the world. But there's also this issue of what we're gonna be doing and what is the nature of work and are people prepared to work and are we gonna be taking away all their jobs um, with artificial intelligence? So um, why don't we dig, dig into this a little bit? We have some time. And uh, let's start with your, uh, you know, our shared experience, which was this Haas MBA. So we started, it was the University of California, Berkeley Business School MBA or something like that, right? Yeah. It had a long name. And, uh, and we both graduated in 1989, which is now 30 years ago, uh, over 30 years ago, and we just had our reunion. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, how did this prepare you for your career? You mentioned that it was a a shift. It was a change, and you didn't go back and do the engineering. And that I had the same experience. I did not go back and continue to to be a programmer, a computer coder, and uh, I, I had like a totally different experience. So maybe you could help us take a you know through the what does it mean to have the career you've had based on that MBA? Okay. Well, I, uh, as I told you, uh, it was a tack in life, and I was looking for. Um, opportunities to to have an international career this is really what i wanted uh, i wanted to be able to to work with different cultures addressing real problems and i'm and I, i'm glad uh, that has the the Berkeley business school in, in the wonderful barrels hall 
had international courses and uh, also this this um, this full program of how you put a, a real business plan together so those, I, I was able to use that and then um, lo and behold uh, I managed to get an interview with this company called at the time it was for Isaac FICO uh, a pioneer in data analytics and uh, they hired me to go and develop their business in Monaco so that was kind of an offer I could not refuse and uh, so I took it up and it, it was wonderful and um, so they did and besides of course uh, one of the, the the lasting values is uh, the network of, of friends that I kept uh, spread uh, all over the world but uh, all people that I know I can see from time to time or exchange and we do that regularly and that's almost the best part uh, yeah, that does sound like it. Um, did, what kind of work were you doing for FICO? And is it the same kind of work you were doing in, in future jobs? Well, uh, FICO at the time was um, that we had three components. I mean, developing the models, the, the, the scoring models, um, the software to implement the models, and to implement strategies to run portfolios, um, which were quite clever, um, adaptive technology. Uh, I remember when I arrived in Monaco in 1990, I had a, this at, uh, an email with an at on my business card. Uh, the French were asking me, what the heck is that? What does that mean? <laughs> that was a long time ago. And, um, and also consultancy. So that, that got me into the field of software and, um, and data. And then when I moved to other companies like Business Objects and Experian, they were all involved in data, software, analytics, um, business objects was mostly business intelligence, but it's still hard to analyze data. So I stayed in this field. I, I was never the geek in the loop. I was always uh, the business developer with roles across Europe, across EMEA, as we say, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and also Latin America. So I got my wish. You know, uh, I had to change uh, cultures and languages uh, almost every day in my different meetings. It was fun. That's excellent. Uh, let's talk about the four defining principles of the school. So after we left, uh, Dean Lyons came in and he, he came up with this idea that there were four principles uh, based on uh, the types of people who were going through the school and their, and their approach to life. And I, I felt like it did reflect us in, in many ways, even though we didn't have it as a definition or a defining principle. So uh, do you know these? Uh, there's question, the status quo. Yes, yes. Conf yeah. So go ahead and and I think I think it was an, uh, a good encapsulation of, uh, of values. It's not easy to do, and so and I think they capture quite well what, what Berkeley is all about. So congratulations to him, and um, and soon we're going to meet uh, the new dean, uh, Mrs. Harrison is coming to Paris. That should be fun. Um, when I when I look at them, I mean obviously it's hard to pick one. I think question the status quo is part of me, but if I have to pick one, really really, I would say student always. I've always been an avid, eclectic reader, documentary watcher, intense traveler, uh, with a lot of curiosity to learn all aspects of how the world and technology works. And when I was a kid, I used to take apart toys to see how they worked, and uh, that probably is also why I did engineering first. So um, I think this uh, this student always, and I still like to learn new things and, uh, all the time. Yeah, I agree with you on that. That's excellent. Hey, so let's, uh, let's move into uh, a couple of things. I, one of the most important aspects of, of what you have been doing is that you're, I think, giving back in some way and you're participating in something that's, uh, that's different than, than yeah. your 
previous work. So what was pulling you towards it? Well, that's, um, that's a good um, introduction to my last few years. Um, uh, I was approaching the age where you say, well, I'm going to go into my third age, sort of semi-retired, but I couldn't see myself playing golf or sitting on a, on a hammock in a beach uh, all day. That would go for 24 hours. And so I need to find something else. And, um, and a friend of mine in the UK gave me a book to read. Uh, how to change the world by an American journalist, and he described what Ashoka was doing. And uh, make a long story short, I, I joined the Ashoka Support Network, uh, and that's a network of mentors sustaining the Ashoka Fellows. And when, like me, I mean, um, I was maybe uh, more um, more uh, in tune with the Anglo-Saxon Protestant way of looking at the economic world, which is uh, it's okay to make uh, money or whatever in life, but it's what you do with it afterwards that really matters, okay? And so I felt like um, my life had been quite good. Uh, it may be time to give back. What I didn't expect, and uh, I have to admit it's almost seen, that I'm getting back three, four times more than I'm giving because the contact with these change makers is absolutely extraordinary. These guys, and, and girls, I mean, it's not it's men and men and women really don't know in French there is an expression, c'est pas possible, that is very prevalent. It's not possible. They don't know this term. They just go and, and their ideas and what they're doing and their dedication are extraordinary. So just being with them and, and doing whatever you can, I mean, putting a little bit of oil in their engine is, is magnificent. It's a magnificent experience. So I'm getting a lot, a lot out of it. I mean, it's, it, and, each time I, I meet with them, it's a huge pleasure, and I'm happy to to add my little contribution to to their development. Well, you sound super energized, and uh, we we had a really really great uh, lunch in Paris just uh, a few weeks ago. Where where was that? Where were we? Café d'Angèle near the Arc de Triomphe. Yes. Yeah, Café so, d'Angèle. So, did you have any particular reason for going there, or did we just we just showed up there? Well, um, I was selfish. I wanted to be near one of the RER metro, you know, the express metro stations. I was coming from the west. So that's the first station in Paris. And I've been with Chiara and another friend to this small restaurant. It's typically French. It's not expensive. It's good food. Uh, so, Yeah, we had uh, Chiara and, and I had the Lapin which yeah. was uh, delicious. Um, yeah. But also that was uh, one of the reasons we were there was because uh, the, uh, the metros were on strike. So it was going to be much easier for you to, to get to that location. Yeah. Is, the, is that like the metro strikes, is that somewhat related to this issue of economics and, uh, and the need for some, some new changes in this way? Well, this one is, is really, um, the last version of many strikes, France is good. I mean, uh, in terms of strikes, um, issues that need to be changed are never negotiated. They always go to a clash first and they negotiate it afterwards. So last year, the big issue was uh, withholding, you know, monthly withholding. Uh, this did not exist in France. You, you paid your lump sum tax the year after. It was crazy. And we were the last country to do it. Well, protest, protest. Eventually, the thing was passed and now no, nobody remembers how life was before so this one as we mentioned earlier this is all about um, the pension system 
and uh, they were very uh, unfair, 42 different systems. And, um, and I think it, the, the right approach is to try to create something that brings uh, the whole system back into the 21st century. It consumed 14% of GDP, which is much higher than most countries. And uh, many of these systems are in deficit, like the railroad world. I mean, what they contribute does not pay for their glorious uh, pensions. So um, this is the one, the flavor of the month is, is pensions re reform. And in six months, it will be something else. It, it's how it works. Clash. Clash. <laughs> Clash first. And then, I mean, they started striking before the law was even described in detail. So don't change it. Don't change what's going on. We're just, that just, we'll start with that. Don't change. Well, people wanted to take down the Eiffel Tower at the time. They didn't want the pyramid in the Louvre. Now nobody will admit they were against it. <laughs> exactly. All of those things are, good, are beautiful things as, uh, as we... Resistance to change. Yeah, resistance to change. Well so let's let's just hold that thought because uh, there's a resistance to change everywhere in the in the world and here in the U.S. I was interested. It's interesting you said the uh, the transit was what almost fourteen percent. That's one out of you know one out of six dollars or one out of six euros being spent in that area. Uh, in the U.S., it's one out of six dollars being spent on healthcare, yeah. which is you know so we have our own sort of uh, crazy issue here, um, which is kind of brings me to the to this place of this particular organization has a very French perspective. Has yeah. it been modeled after anything else in the world or was it really specifically developed for how France works? No, I think, uh, I, I think uh, when it started, I mean, it, there was no model anywhere else. I think the, the combination was quite unique. There's a lot of think tanks, um, but in France, it's like the newspaper and the media, they are colored, they're flavored, they're not neutral. So. Terranova will be with the socialists and uh, Montaigne will be with the right. Okay, these are two think tanks. We want to be apolitical, completely neutral. Okay, and really not just produce reports which are nice to read and give you prestige, but actionable. So that part was quite unique. And, um, and the Action Lab, well, Ashoka and others do support uh, social entrepreneurs. Richard Branson uh, in the UK with Virgin United does the same. There's several. But nobody has both. So this was quite a unique combination. And I think it's, it's the right approach. Because if you're in an ivory tower without input from people in the field, you may miss what's really going on. And so you need to have this connection between what you're thinking and the people who are on the field, you know, as we say, at the, at the call front, really facing the real issues and, and combining these two. Okay, so let's drill into, because uh, I'm, what I'm hoping to hear is why this particular organization is doing well in the world and why it should be potentially a model for others. And when I look at that, I think of the motivations of the individuals involved. So are you paid by this organization? Or are you a, a, a volunteer? Nobody, nobody's paid. It's all pro bono, everything. So all of these individuals are giving back. So, you know, and, <clears throat> excuse me, you're giving back. The, uh, the founders and the management of this uh, are collecting money from a relatively broad set of, of investors, correct? Well, it's not investors. I mean, I mean it, yeah. Okay. Right. They're not not investors. No, no, no. When Accenture gives us 10,000 euros for one of the seminars, it's, it's not, the return is a visibility. That's it. You know, get a banner, get your name mentioned, but uh, no, no, you don't get the 
10,000 plus 5%. Yeah, so there are definitely donations. Yes. And, and you're donating your time, they're donating cash. And I'm also noticing that it isn't like you have one or two very dominant donors. You have a, a number of, of donors yes. that are relatively small. Yes, in today's model. Remember, we're trying to develop this Messina uh, de Compétence, these services to companies to implement uh, pro bono mentors. Again, that's never going to be a lot of money, but it will help us develop some other activities, forums and other publications. We're going to publish a book in April, so there's a lot of effort going on. Sure. Now, what would you say is the secret to how this is working? What's holding it together and what is motivating uh, this group of, of individuals? I think, um, I think what's motivating is that they feel that uh, the, the, the actions have real impact. Okay. So it's not just talk, talk, meet because we, we like each other. Uh, it, it really has an impact. When they see the, the amendments being passed, um, spontaneously members say, we should also like, uh, yesterday somebody said, we should really create a new group think tank about uh, the education of the very, very young kids, uh, you know, the, the, the preschoolers, and there's, there's work to be done there. And 10, 12 people, we have a WhatsApp uh, string. I mean, say, I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. So 10, 12 people immediately join and say, oh, we work on it. And, and that's it. it. It starts. And, um, and other members are not uh, the thinking kind. They're more the doer kind. And they contact me. Carlos, I would love to bring my skills in HR, legal, uh, consultancy, whatever, to some of the uh, NGOs. And they all have several needs. And then I do the matching. And they're very happy of being in touch. Most of the, the member mentors are still active people. They're not retired like me. So they're giving time on, the, on their own. They're not part of a company program, okay, like uh, Salesforce does. They are doing it on their own town, time outside of their work schedule. So we, we don't have any problem. We've exploded the, the, the WhatsApp, uh, WhatsApp uh, string because it's limited to 256. <laughs> so we're, we have a problem of infrastructure now. <laughs> Yeah, I have to go to something that can that can touch uh, a thousand people, right? Yeah, yeah, we need, we need new tools. Yeah, that's part of it. But that's a, that's actually a really good problem to have, and it it answered the question I had, which is how do people work with you? And it sounds like they just get they just you know they get in contact with you. They know it's word word of mouth now. It's word of mouth. It's just coming through directly. I mean, uh, people mention it around them, and this is and they they we do some you know this is France. We do meals and evenings with a lot of food and wine, and they. We, we bring prospects in and at the end of the evening, they're, they're hooked. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that would be, uh, I, I'm moving to Paris so I can be part of your network then, just so I can go out for dinners with you. Okay, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, you're I'm welcome. Uh, no, that's excellent. So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the need here. So artificial intelligence is one place where people have said this is going to take away all the jobs in the world. But it feels like it, it hardly begins to do that. I mean, I'm a maybe biased because I, I hear people say, call it AI, but I keep going at, no, it's artificial intelligence, just so we know it's not real intelligence, it's artificial. No. So, I mean, that means, though, that implies that there's something beyond this tool that we have. And is that part of what you're thinking of in terms of training and, and where you're going with this? Well, uh, I try to make a distinction at the beginning. If you draw the pyramid, we are addressing the middle bottom of the pyramid, okay? We're not addressing the professionals at the top of the pyramid. I mean, 
these uh, professional white colors, they're going to be needed and they will adapt. It's part of their skills to adapt. We are concerned with the lower middle classes down. That's the piece of the population that is concerned because those are the ones where the labor impact is, is very big. They're being disintermediated completely. Or at least, if not, they have the fear. They live in fear now. And, and you, you've been seeing all these, these, um, these articles and media about the inequality. And this is a population of the Gilets Jaunes, you know, the yellow vest in France. They feel all this globalization, international thing is completely bypassing them. They're the forgotten people in the, you know, they live in medium, small towns, everything is closing. And so we want to bring that piece of the population. The white colors, I don't think AI or anything will replace 100% of, of, uh, of jobs in any field. Okay. If anything, um, being in contact with uh, some of these McKinsey guys is interesting. Most of their work nowadays, and they showed me, but without telling me which company, the companies are doing huge excels. They put all their employees with their description of skills, and to the right, three, four years, they make a list of the people we will need in terms of skills. And the whole project is how do I move from today to tomorrow? And the keywords are upskilling and reskilling. It's every company is addressing this issue, reskilling and upskilling. Of course, when you look at the Excel on the right side, the tomorrow Excel is shorter in terms of people because that's part of the deal, okay? They're putting more robots and things, but they're trying to salvage as much as they can of the current people they have, how many can be reskilled or upskilled and how many they think. And so that, that's the core of the issue. And I'm talking manufacturing, I'm talking every every field is being impacted. And uh, they're trying to anticipate and looking forward, how do I move from today to tomorrow? And we want to make sure that those people who are at the bottom of the Excel uh, get included somehow. And I think that's the main issue. Yeah, so that brings up another point. And, and that is, if you are going to still be losing people, right? We, that, if you're holding on to some of the people you're just kind of putting a finger in the dike. At some point, it, it becomes a problem because still more people are, are being left out. Are there opportunities, though, where and are you starting to see maybe some of the, uh, the innovators at the top thinking of new problems to solve that would then bring that group in to, uh, to new jobs and, and maybe give them opportunities to, to skill into new ways? Yes, I mean, part of the, the thinking and, and a lot of pundits and editorials are saying, I mean, uh, you know, one thing is to, uh, you know, to find, to develop technologies which address, for example, climate change, and it will create new jobs. You know, uh, you have to manufacture pieces of machinery that decarbonize air, for example, capture CO2. Well, let's put money into those innovations where there's going to be new jobs which don't even exist. The, the whole issue of the, the jobs is like, Everybody says, I mean, uh, kids born today, the job description of tomorrow don't exist. They don't know what they're going into. Okay, in 10, 15 years, nobody has an idea. And uh, the other issue, and it is prevalent in Europe, is uh, the, the demography. The populations are going down. Okay, so the pyramid is inverting. And, and the politicians will never admit to it, uh, Merkel. But when she allowed the million people in, is because she has the worst pyramid in Europe. And, and so 
if she didn't fill in part of the bottom of the pyramid, you know, one day they would turn off the lights in Germany, there would be no Germans left. So, so that's the, the, the parallel issue that we're facing here. Of course, it's not the issue in parts of Africa or others, but it's definitely an issue in Europe. Well, interesting. That is very optimistic, uh, it, by the way, and uh, certainly something that I'm looking at here um, with people who are working on the same issues here. Um, certainly, there are some differences between uh, France and the U.S., uh, in the in this, but we are both um, developed countries yeah. that are you know with older populations uh, slowing down a little bit and you know in their vigor there's a there's a little maybe too much resistance to the future uh, even in the U.S. Um, so I, I look at this and go well okay this is really interesting I love the what, what you're working on I hope that we have a chance to keep talking about this, Carlos, and I get to hear more about it. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we close? Well, our I think I want to go back to, you know, you, you had um, you had prompt me with something. How can uh, we help whoever that uh, will get involved? Excellent. Yeah? Yes. Um, as I said, I mean, first, if anybody of your listeners or readers uh, hear or know of an organization that say, ah, this looks similar to this such and such, um, we would love to get in touch, um, send the contact to me via you so that uh, we can explore opportunities. We try to build alliances and exchange. We, we would love to find out others are addressing the same issues, be it a think tank or an NGO or, or academy, some university, some part of a university that uh, we would like to exchange. We would love that. And of course, you see, if an individual wants to join, I mean, today we're mostly in France. We don't have action lab pieces anywhere else. But uh, I do have mentors based in the UK or other places helping French NGOs. So it's feasible, like uh, we're doing now, via, you know, if we can bring expertise to someone, even if it's via Zoom or, or video calls, um, we, could, we could take um, ec uh, any expertise on board if someone wants to contribute individually. But um, mostly the alliance is big. I mean, if we can find in Canada, U.S., anywhere, um, any organization that uh, is addressing or trying to address the same issues, uh, they may not do exactly what to do, but even if there is a slight overlap, it's interesting. It will be interesting. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Carlos. We'll thank certainly uh, see if we can bring some more people to the fold there. Okay. I enjoyed it very much. I look forward to seeing you back in Paris. There will always be wine and cheese and good bread for you. And uh, talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Very good. Thanks Take for care. the opportunity. Bye bye, Stuart. Excellent.